Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ology's podcast, Training the Modern Workforce Live, the weekly show discussing training and talent development solutions and best practices. Each episode, we'll talk about a different training topic, and make sure to keep an eye out for special guests and interviews from top training professionals. Uh, with me, as always, I have Colin Forward, CEO of Ology. For the last decade, Colin has provided major U.S. hospitals and federal agencies with distance learning solutions. He studied mobile technology at the University of Central Florida while earning a degree in computer science and his MBA. And joining Colin this week is Dr. David Metcalf. Uh, Dr. Metcalf is a senior researcher at the Institute for Simulation and Training Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab with a 15-year history in web-based and mobile learning. He focuses on bridging the gap between corporate learning, simulation techniques, and the use of technology to improve human performance. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about emerging technologies and simulation and training. Uh, we've got some great questions on deck already, but feel free to ask any questions that may come up in the chat, and we'll try to get to as many as we can. All right, Colin, over to you. All right, thanks, Adam. And uh, thanks, Dr. Metcalf, for joining us. Um, there are a few reasons I'm really excited to talk to you today. One, um, I mean, you, you've been a, a mentor of mine for uh, you know a decade now. And um, back when I was studying at the Metal Lab, um, we were working on a lot of the things that we're dealing with day to day uh, when it comes to solving learning and development uh, problems in the real world. So uh, in addition, this year, I think everyone has been really focused on the task at hand. You know, how do they respond to COVID? How do they respond to um, everyone being remote? And those are still important problems, but I also wanna make sure that we take some time to pick our head up and see what's coming at us on the horizon. And uh, I don't really know anyone who would be better at providing that perspective than you. So glad to have you with us today. Um, for starters, why don't you uh, kick us off by giving us a little bit of a high level overview of the kind of things that you're working on these days. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned about uh, COVID responsiveness and uh, still trying to help the good fight as a social cause and all the tools and techniques that you talked about that people used to think we we're kind of crazy for thinking we can deliver courses over a, a mobile phone or uh, to have these augmented and virtual reality experiences using leveraging artificial intelligence all seem like kind of a, a pipe dream at the time too, but that's what research is. And it was great to see you guys have that early exposure both in the lab and so proud of the, the spinoff of uh, Ology Interactive too from, uh, from the lab and, and the success that you guys have had. Today, I'm actually sitting in a place that kind of represents some of that uh, crossroads between public-private partnership. I'm in the new blockchain innovation lab that is being launched in about an hour by the mayor of Oviedo, by uh, Global Blockchain Ventures, by UCF's incubator program, and a number of the other um, uh, projects and uh, companies that are being incubated in that same capacity, that same way that we talked about before, kind of almost from from lab to launch is the term we used to use before too, since we're so close to the space coast uh, too, but thinking about launching these efforts. And I think that's a key theme for what's going on in the world right now. There's so much turmoil and so many changes that there's trends towards reskilling our workforces as there's fundamental shifts in industries or job changes. There's gonna be a number of things that new technologies are the way that you restart something. And people are not as averse to that now as when there was a strong status quo. When there's a lot of change, people are willing to embrace and try some new things. And that might lead to new careers for them. It might need to lead to new potential for them. And that's what, as with my hat at UCF on, 
as in a public-private partnership and a public public university, we're trying to make sure that we give those opportunities out across academia, industry, military and government has a role in this too, as well as our healthcare and even our, our nonprofits and social causes and, and missions that, we, that we're on too. We try and make sure that we can help all those sectors of society. And you got to see that by living for a few years into in the interdisciplinary culture that we had created. I think that's going to be another key to the secret sauce too, not just the technology, but the human side of that and how we focus that technology and human together. High tech and high touch is what we always used to say, right? So those are some things that I think are, are key themes that are changing, not just the technology, but the way people work and especially post-COVID, how we're going to recover. So um, we, we can start with the technology or with some of the, the, the skill requirements changes, but um, you know, let, let's start in that general domain. So what kind of reskilling are you seeing um, being required of the workforce, the, the population that learning and development professionals are responsible for supporting, but also what kind of skills are L&D professionals going to need to develop themselves yeah. to support those folks? Yeah, I've seen things the past uh, year that I never thought I would see or that I wouldn't see for another 15 or 20 years in terms of people's adoption of technology in lieu of being able to meet in person, but still trying to have experience, even what we're doing today, too. You and I might be across a coffee table if it weren't for uh, COVID and uh, other things, too. But this has been a great enabler. It's also enabled new careers, new opportunities to learn and new fields. I'll give uh, two examples, one a very recent one and one from the start of COVID. But uh, the recent one is that this week we had the training magazine event, which is usually one of the largest training events in, in the world, especially in the US, certainly in the US. And uh, instead they had to move to virtual, but we were still able to do some things with some unique skill sets. The number of people that were focused on doing, being like showrunners uh, in a virtual space that's a career that I wouldn't have thought that, that I would have heard about even, uh, even a year or two ago. But there are people yeah. that are staging whole events and doing the, the same type of scaled events you might do Cirque du Soleil style or big conference style. And uh, they're doing a great job with it. We were able to host a virtual tour of the new Verizon 5G living lab that just opened in Lake Nona uh, recently and has a combination of UCF's in there, but uh, Verizon, the Tavistock Group, they have their nonprofit, um, Lake Nona Institute, as well as a group of investors out of Berlin that have set up a whole sports technology accelerator in there. So those are examples of other things that we wouldn't have seen, the, the, the explosion of eSport, the explosion of tracking human performance and using wearables, all those things are in that incubator style space. Those are all examples of things that are going to grow a new skill set and new jobs over time. So that's been pretty exciting. It was pretty exciting to see bringing together the Navy, the VA, CACI. It was a great opportunity to show off capillary too and the tool set that Ology has in context for the work that you had done early on in the fight against COVID for turning some of those modules and making them available to uh, I think over hundreds of thousands of people too is what I saw in some of yeah. your last numbers. So that's pretty exciting about being able to give back and contribute to society that way. When you start to put these pieces together, that's going to create new jobs, new skills. 
I was looking at what skills I needed when uh, COVID first broke out. And there were things I just wanted to know about. I saw University of Bath had an online certification course in biosecurity. So that was my own time. And I, I had, you know, just this much more time not having a commute or drive into there. And I used that time to uh, reskill or to grow a new skill. It was kind of fun to get a chance to, to learn something new that tied in and combined biosecurity with some of the other emerging uh, learning technologies and uh, advanced technologies that we've been able to work with and put those things together. That's been uh, pretty exciting. So, I mean, covered a lot of ground there as far as the, the new skills that the workforce might have to, to take on. And we could probably talk for hours just about that topic. But I've also sat in on meetings where you have a chief learning officer in your conference room and you're just blowing their mind with the things that they need to start getting ready for. Um, so, you know, for these folks that are, that are needing to support this kind of reskilling, this, this uh, transformation of the workforce, what is it that they need to have on their radar? What is it that they need to be keeping up with? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. And uh, we get that a lot. It was, was really a showcase of some of that this uh, week and uh, at, at the Verizon event too with Training Magazine because people are coming back and looking at those technologies. Some of the ones that we talked about and focused on were those 5G enabled technologies like augmented and virtual reality. We had some from medicine with Rivenex and with uh, Metaviz that we were showing off. But then also some of the more pedestrian technologies, like something as simple as the, the card decks that we've uh, kind of been known for in the lab too. We did a COVID card deck for the army early on. And those are examples of some of the types of things that we're able to um, get ready quickly, uh, the same way that you guys mobilize quickly to kind of see how we could all pitch in and lend a hand in any way that we could think of to, to help with that. Those were things that were really important. We we're able to show that. We we're able to show the mobile learning modules that you guys had done. And we're also able to cast a vision for the things that are coming. Talk about how things like blockchain, right, right now with the, in the Blockchain Innovation Lab, are gonna do things like enable a universal transcript that can track your whole career. Uh, in the military, you might say from recruit to retire. In the, uh, in, the, in the lifelong learning, you might say from womb to tomb. <laughs> so looking at how we create lifelong learners and some of the things that would enable that, better enable that. Those were some of the things that were pretty exciting to be able to showcase to people. And you could see those aha moments of them kind of capturing a vision of what that could be. Some of the things that we've been able to, to do um, were to, to kind of give the, that, uh, that showcase and expand upon it so that we had all of those other examples that we could show. I'll show a couple examples in a minute as well too, um, but that might be something that will help people to, to better understand what, yeah, what well, we're talking about. You, you, you touched on like five topics that I wanna dig into a little <laughs> sure, bit. Sure, yeah, any one of them. Yeah. For, for each of them. <laughs> one thing I did wanna um, clarify a little bit, cause you, you referenced this card deck. And I think that that's, um, that's really important to help people understand because I mean, we're about to talk about 5G and AR, VR and all these hi-fi ways to, to support learning. Mm -hmm. But those card decks you mentioned, I mean, those were something that were, were that the lab distributed in Haiti after the earthquake when there was no yep. connectivity. So that was, right. I mean, these card decks for anyone who's, who's not familiar are a gamified uh, approach to self-directed learning, fighting the forgetting curve, teaching really practical skills in a self-directed way, right? Is, is that a good way to explain those? It is, yeah, yeah. That's uh, something that uh, we've we've had a, a history of too. 
So if uh, I can grab uh, sharing and and show a couple examples of that too, I don't think I have the cards uh, with me right now, but uh, physically, but uh, the cards are just the tip of the iceberg. There's this whole notion of a transmedia solution that we've talked about for a while. MIT started coming up with this idea and it was an opportunity to start off with a whole theme or storyline and be able to have media, have your your training translate across different platforms. So the cards could be the start. And then it goes to a mobile app. That mobile app also has an augmentation layer to it or has an online solitaire rummy game that teaches you the sequence of some of those things. Those are, those are some of the areas that we've been able to um, start to build a stack of technologies. So you have the lowest common denominator. Yeah, you have the lowest common denominator. And then you also have these other components that you're building upon when you're trying to get something out, especially if you're trying to get something out fast and to the broadest possible audience. Like you said, we didn't know if they were going to have even power, much less uh, you know, network connectivity when we went to Haiti. And those are examples that could, could be you know, life-changing for people, especially in a disaster situation. And you guys have done such a great job of pulling on those for civil affairs activities and other missions to help people across the globe. It's uh, been, been great and refreshing to see. Um, I'll give a couple examples. Here's the, the examples of the cards, just so that you can kind of see. It's as simple as creating a deck of cards, a physical deck of cards, but then you also have the ability to use uh, mobile app formats for cards too, just like you'd have with Quizlet or something else. But we, we always injected them and put them on steroids. We actually made it so those cards had the spacing effect, sort of a basic level AI or adaptive learning component to it. And those were some of the things we were able to uh, execute on very rapidly, having this framework for those mobile apps and the other components that we had. Those are some of the things that we saw um, early on that uh, actually showed improvements in learning, nine to 16% improvement in learning outcomes, which is pretty substantial using some pretty simple technologies. And then yeah. you layer on top of it, the things like augmented reality. So whenever you highlight over any one of these cards, it can launch a 3D animation or it can launch an example explainer video, or um, even just take you right to the website that that information comes from so that you have deeper information that again is always up to date. So there's a lot of benefits of having this layered approach with transmedia to being able to do adaptive learning, to being able to have multiple delivery methods for the content, depending on what a person's situation or preference is. Those are things that give a lot of optionality and personalization to the learning. And um, some of it doesn't have to be the highest end technology it can scale from that low end. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you, you explaining that because I always thought that that was one of the most interesting uh, things about you know, working with Metal Lab was how often we spent talking about the the bleeding edge, and then a lot of the times the the adoption really starts here with the thing that is accessible and is intuitive to those end users. Yeah, yeah. So um, sometimes it's uh, it's as simple as doing things like um, a quick mobile app too. And I know that you guys are expert at that. We we had to do some that uh, we had initially done for Ebola, but having this whole history of doing these quick and rapid examples that we can convert allowed us to do personal protective equipment training for the VA in a mobile friendly game environment too. You have to put on and take off your protective equipment successfully. And this is something that the VA 
donated back to the world of healthcare workers and to um, the whole federal government and anybody in in in, uh, in need of it too through uh, FedTraining uh, dot dot uh, org. So they've put it out there publicly for people. So a lot of these resources that we're creating are going far and wide. The tens of thousands of people are using this a month from what we hear. So it really gives a, a chance for us to feel like we're, we're giving back. We're using the tools in our toolkit. And many of the people who are probably listening have a lot of tools in their toolkit too. But if we just think about how we focus for the social good, especially during these you know, troubling times of, of pandemic, we can do a slight shift of things that we might already have to be able to contribute well to uh, society and help everyone get through this. Well, so I, I, I want to make sure that we spend some time on the, the technology that I've started hearing more and more about recently, and that's AR and VR. And I, mm -hmm. I think it's a combination of the fact that 5G is now rolling out. Um, <laughs> you, know, you mentioned the Verizon Center uh, uh, there in, in Central Florida that um, is a great uh, probing ground for uh, a lot of that technology. Um, I'm starting to hear a lot more of that from our customers in the government and the private sector, pretty much everywhere. Um, so what do you see as the, the most immediate impact of AR and VR in the training space? Yeah, well, anything that's really high consequence that uh, is either really costly to do or potentially dangerous to do, those are things that shine when you think about augmented virtual reality. And rather than having to go and build a whole simulation scaled center, you can have it in the size of, of a headset or a mobile device. Some of the things we're looking at is you don't have to you know, have a million dollar studio to do some of this stuff. You can do some of it on your own phone and then play it back on something, something as simple as a $15 Google Cardboard. I don't know if, you, uh, if, if the audience has seen the Google Cardboard yeah, sure. before too, but, but those are some of the things that um, are pretty exciting because it doesn't have to be the high-end work, like frankly, like we do, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, that's some, some places to start. And then there's also so much promise in some of the areas that uh, you think about where you need to get a lot of knowledge aptitude before you get the skill aptitude. So think about which all the things you need to know before you're a surgeon and before you actually start cutting on your first patient <laughs> or think about all the things you need to know before you get in a, a pilot seat where 175, 250 people's lives are in your hands. Those are all things that are examples of that kind of high consequence and what that might look like. Um, we put it in the context of a lot of the, the new internet of things space too and where you can use augmented reality to almost have a digital twin of anything from yourself using some of the data that you might have on a, a smartwatch or something like that to your cars and vehicles, especially when you don't just take one, but a whole fleet or a whole city worth to know how you can be safer, how you can be healthier and how you can do a digital twin of traffic patterns, even smart city elements. And that translates down to the hospital where we do, we all do a lot of healthcare work too. And that's another place that we see those benefits to even in your home too. The, the WIT uh, uh, home, smart home that we have in Lake Nona is an example of a showcase place to do those types of things. Those are some of the things, sorry. Those are some of the things that we've seen that have been beneficial. That WIT home, we actually, if you remember, uh, we, decked out the whole back garage as an all white space so that we could have this matrix construct effect 
<laughs> and be able to go and build out our own live and virtual sets and even do things like anatomy lessons or reskin the whole room with uh, new furniture and what that would look like to visualize going from a hospital room to, uh, to a child's room back and forth and be able to do those things without the cost and expense of doing it. All the expense was, was the cost of a headset. We didn't have to reconfigure rooms constantly either. Those are some of the promise of wearing the, the headsets like the ones you see here. Go ahead, Colin. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I mean, headsets are coming a long way, right? I, I, I remember mm -hmm. seeing uh, some, I remember seeing folks playing around with Google Glass um, years mm -hmm. ago in, in the lab. Um, more recently, uh, you know, I, I, I get the sense that the more affordable headsets like the Quest 2 um, mm -hmm. may be playing a role kind of like the iPhone did in 2007. I mean, there were smartphones before the iPhone, right? But yep. that, that really changed the game. So for people that are looking to uh, you know, dip their toes in the water, try and get, a, um, try and get started on AR and VR and, and aren't ready for like the Varios or the HoloLens 2 level um, uh, systems, what do you think are some of those entry level uh, applications that these these um, you know prosumer prosumer mm -hmm. or consumer level yeah. uh, hardware platforms are enabling? Yeah, well, it doesn't take high end hardware anymore. Some of the things that we built four or five years ago on a high end Hololens, like you see in this area too, can now be played back on your mobile device, um, either just in your hand or just by putting it into a little cardboard slider, like with Google Glass or some of the plastic ones too, those are proving to be effective for a lot of types of training, especially when you wanna give this experiential, like uh, being in the cockpit with a, a pilot for, for Boeing training. Those are all things that uh, hold a lot of promise and don't have to break the bank. Some of the things we've been seeing is COVID mindfulness training and de-stress training too, that people are doing with these simple, um, simple goggles. We're, we're also seeing that while we push the state of the art on the high end with AR and VR glasses, like you said, the Oculus, even some of the ones that are on your Sony PlayStation that are only a couple hundred dollars too, might be affordable for certain applications too, without a lot of, uh, a lot of extra stress. Those are some of the things that we're um, constantly exploring. How do we bring this technology out to the masses? COVID has actually made some of that happen faster too. When you want to have these virtual experiences, virtual tours of places you wouldn't be able to go right now uh, for, for obvious reasons. Those are things that there's huge opportunities in, let's call it virtual tourism for a minute and the high consequence careers. We're also looking at that high end though. We, we have to keep pushing the envelope. And here's an example of something that's helping out in the medical space. This is a company that our outside firm invested in too, RealView Imaging out of Israel. HoloLens uh, is, is a thing of the past when you look at this because you have these, um, these holograms without glasses and the ability from taking Israeli military technology to bring it to operating rooms so that surgeons can plan out heart surgeries. Those are some of the types of things that we're doing right now in, uh, in, the, in the environment even down to like some of the stuff that we've worked on together too with Navy Corpsman and being able to take um, a critical skill path to learn about things like hemorrhage control if you're a corpsman or if you're a medic. And when you're doing that, we can track all of those results all the way through the process and have a competency-based learning platform. So it's not necessarily about just the technology you're seeing these cool holograms, it's about what that enables for us.
how does that further enable us to realize the vision of personalized learning, competency-based education that can be tracked throughout a person's whole career using things like blockchain. That's where these mixed emerging technologies, you know, as in our name, start to come together in new and exciting ways. And ARVR is just one of those in our tool, in the toolkit that people might want to explore for themselves. Yeah. So I, I have uh, one more question on the ARVR space because um, you know you showed a, a bunch of medical examples. A uh, good friend of mine, Dr. Galal Sayed at uh, uh, UAB in Birmingham, he's been telling me about how he's been using. Uh, VR environments to plan his uh, approaches for neurosurgery, um, apparently to, to some really positive effects. He was telling me about a patient that um, was able to, to regain mobility, start swimming again um, after oh. the procedure. And, and, you know, a lot of times, especially in the military, uh, with, who we work with a lot, people talk about um, training how you work or training how you fight. Mm -hmm. um, so, what what exactly does that process look like? What does instructional design look like um, for supporting those kind of training environments? Yeah, we have to start thinking multidimensionally, don't we? Not just in 3D space, but over the course of time and also uh, multi-factor in terms of our sensory too. Some of the things that we're having to do, if you're going to have a truly visceral experience, you need to be able to touch it with you know, VR gloves. You need to be able to smell it with the olfactory sensibilities too. Some of these things you may not want to smell, but uh, you need to be desensitized to that for the first time that you experience it in, in real life too. If you're going to be on the front lines of saving lives, uh, like we're showing here, those are all things that, that we have to start to factor in, in the instructional design process. Now we can crawl before we walk and walk before we run in that too, but even just starting to think about how you script out and provide good storytelling that meets objectives, learning objectives. Those are things that is just a new skill for some people, that storytelling combined in there with, with those notions. Those are things that can be very important to creating a compelling and engaging and appropriate use of these advanced media. Just to do it because of the cool factor, you know, that's not what we're about. A lot of these examples, like in the uh, pilot seats, 20 to 30% improvement in um, training outcomes in complex weather. So that's, that's life-saving potentially yeah. in the breast cancer screening, having 3d imagery versus 2d imagery and teaching people how to read 3d uh, breast examinations. And uh, the, the imagery from that too leads to 23% improvement in outcomes across 5,000 patients at Emory and 49% uh, reduction in callbacks that saves the hospital money that saves the person Jeez. anguish of going to get a second look. Those are things that you could take to the bank and why to use this technology, maybe why to invest in this technology. That's where I think the, the outcomes come in. Yeah, real, real quick, because I want to make sure we, we, we talk about blockchain and, and um, you know, fragmentation sure. and learning. Um, but I, I can imagine that training professionals might be a little bit intimidated by these developments. Does that mean that everyone in L&D is going to have to become a video game designer? It, it does not. You know, we have interdisciplinary teams. We hire people that maybe look a little non-traditional from the, the typical instructional designer and web programmer, but they're vital parts of the whole integrated or sometimes we call it a transdisciplinary team. We transcend our disciplines and all work together. It's forming that right team. Who's going to do that back-end LMS and beyond for you? The LMS, the LCMS, if you're looking at content or even the competency management and that's where things like blockchain technology is another form of database storage that can be trusted across multiple organizations. 
those are the types of things that not everybody has to be concerned about. If you are the head of a project, you need to know who can do all the pieces and be able to orchestrate pulling those pieces together. So I think that'll be a new skill set for some training directors or people who are CLOs to make sure they have that big picture vision to be able to capitalize on putting those, those people, those human resources and uh, talent management together in a cohesive way that can be high performance to produce next generation learning. So I think yeah, that's I'm, where the rubber meets the road. That makes good sense. I'm glad we put that in perspective. It does take a team for these kind of things and you're going to need specialists and you're going to need generalists to, to really mm -hmm. do a good job. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of alluded to it in your, in your answer there too, but I actually, I had a, a large med device manufacturer ask me this week, um, why do we need a new system? We already have a, a, a number of learning management systems. And um, I know that you've been involved with efforts like the, uh, the military's total learning architecture where they're trying to address fragmentation, making sure that, um, that learners have a cohesive record of all the competencies mm -hmm. they've achieved. So yeah. what are some of the developments in that space that are helping combine these systems that have unique strengths and unique weaknesses to mm -hmm. make sure that the, the learner is getting the best of all of those worlds? Yeah. Yeah, well, if you're looking at the business of learning too, which many people have to do, the, the ROI on, on this to the return on investment of how much money a company spends on training. And also there's things in there nested like compliance and HR and other things too that you have to consider. Those are things that are enabled by a learning management system. However, if you have four or five, oftentimes we've seen big organizations save, if you saw one organization save $160 million upfront and then $8 million a year recurring by doing consolidation of these and getting more capability, getting a next generation software as a service style capability, something you didn't have to host yourself and keep track of everything yourself. You could do it for a third of the cost of what you're doing. Those are things that it's not just about the next generation capabilities, but it's oftentimes about those capabilities and the um, cost savings combined for a better effect. That's when you start to make decisions, good business decisions about how you lead your organization and about how you do that for the benefit of the learners, the benefit of the bottom line of the organization. And of course, meeting all the things you have to do quality-wise with compliance, with um, having a reskilled and, and freshly skilled talent base within your organization. So, so, so not to put words in your mouth, but this is, this is definitely you know, my perspective. As the technology has developed, a lot of these build or buy equations have shifted over towards buy as the vendors are taking on a lot yep. more of the risk for these uh, L&D shop. Is that right? That's a good way to say it. I think without ceding full control to the vendors, because we don't want to do that, um, right. but to, to uh, share that responsibility and share the cost savings in that. So that's what a good vendor partnership looks like. And that's what I'd encourage, you know, look for the vendor that could be a good partner uh, to your organization too. So, you know, that, that, that means that there, there probably is a lot of opportunity, like you mentioned, to get a better ROI, consolidating some of your learning tools. But what about, uh, what about integration? What about getting that learner record to be shared across multiple systems that are all providing a really unique benefit? Yeah, that's uh, oftentimes a, a challenge or a struggle is to get that, uh, th that equation right. What we're finding is that like in the total learning architecture that you mentioned before too, having an enterprise approach that you can put the right piece together almost in a best in class solution means that if you have an LMS right now, you can build on top of it. You don't have to throw it out for all the good things it's doing, but you can build capabilities around it. And having that ecosystem of tools 
and preferably ones that get the job done that aren't too expensive, but that bolt onto each other to meet those various needs of the stakeholders. That's an important part of how you define what that, especially if you're in a larger organization, what that enterprise um, architecture is going to look like. Well, and then what about for, for learners? Because, I mean, I, I, we've seen people taking lots of shots at this problem. I mean, Mozilla had the, has their badges. Um, a lot of other folks are trying to provide that. I mean, I don't know if you want to say the, the, the top layer or, or the back end, the credentialing back end for, for data that can provide a, you know, a transcript for someone who maybe got training on a job, maybe got training at a school, and then maybe at a conference. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're sitting in a blockchain uh, uh <laughs> lab right now um how how do blockchain and any other technologies start to approach that problem yeah so tracking competencies the knowledge skills and attributes or abilities that someone has to across time and space can be difficult uh, especially when you're bridging the gap between live activities virtual activities some of the constructive activities that might even be just about building skill on the job or where, you, where you're at those are all things that uh are really exciting that you want to capture. Even if you think about some of the, the things that are being done online now through media, like, like watching videos at Khan Academy, should we get credit for some of those things? The life skills that we bring to the table from uh, working in a particular field, wouldn't it be great to be able to capture that performance data as well as the learning data? Some of the newer competency management systems can do that for you. And they can take what's from your LMS, they can take from live work experience, they can take from your, your history of things that you've been working on and your credentials and put that all together. The question becomes, how do you make sure that spans across multiple organizations and multiple systems? That's where something like blockchain comes in. I mentioned the universal transcript. We're working on that with the uh, Army right now, too. We just uh, won a grant uh, this past year for building the world's first blockchain and quantum defense simulator. So we can simulate what those records are before we put them into practice and be able to see if they are gonna live up to the promise and the hype of being able to give you everything that you need from the time you enter the workforce all the way to the time that you retire or even beyond. Those are things that are pretty exciting because this sense of distributed trust, multiple organizations all trusting the blockchain record, even if they don't know each other or know to trust each other, that's really a new superpower of the internet <laughs> is the way I look at some of the functions of blockchain beyond Bitcoin and beyond cryptocurrency and how that's going to fundamentally change certain vertical industries, education and health records are certainly some of those that uh, we're very focused on that we see a lot of promise for as we go forward. Yeah, I, I love the way you said that. I mean, especially now that we're in the, the first hype cycle in like three years for <laughs> cryptocurrency. I mean, this yeah. is really what made it exciting, or at least, you know, starting with Ethereum, the, the idea that we're, we're able to create those distributed trust systems. So, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I do have one more question for you. I know you have a ceremony sure. to get to, um, <laughs> but on, on this idea of, of integration and um, data practices, for someone like myself, for, for a learning technology vendor, We've tracked SCORM, uh, you know, and, and now more recently, TinCan and XAPI. Um, you know, those are, those are systems being driven by the DoD. Um, I know there are other initiatives out there that are looking to provide some sort of standardization in learning data. Um, right. Is there anything that for folks like myself in this space that you think that we should be tracking really closely, XAPI or otherwise? Yeah, well, certainly XAPI is on our list for anybody who's doing things in corporate 
or in government. There's equivalents like the LTI and IMS standards on the more academic and education side of things. And there's also some efforts at the IEEE to try and have some melding of those things. There are standards that are about how you handle the data about the student. And there's also standards about how you handle the data for the content too. We're starting to see those merge too in some of these standards stacks or decks. I tend to look at some of the things that are starting to become more mature and are going through IEEE or BSI or ISO as some of those standards that are gonna have a rock solid uh, future too. But there's many stepping stones to those uh, standards that are coming out now that are endorsed by other organizations that build up to those higher level standards. So that's what I track. And that's what I advise some of our groups to. The other thing that I'd be remiss to not have, have people think about is the new standards for cybersecurity, the amount of times that uh, human capital records and uh, you know, all of our performance, especially in the military are being attacked <laughs> and yeah. being held ransom, uh, health records, any of those things. Uh, the new cybersecurity standards like the CMMC for cybersecurity capability maturity model are examples of some of those things that we all need to pay attention to or have your technology people pay attention to as we go forward, whether you're in industry, whether you're in government, military, for sure, um, or even in healthcare too. Healthcare is the most ransomed data out there and the most valuable data, even more so than your credit card. So those are things, if you're in the health profession, you just all have to be careful, not just for the sake of HIPAA, and the privacy of our patients, but for the, the, the good order and functioning of being able to provide services to our, our patients, uh, that, that, that's what's at stake. So I'd be remiss not to talk about those standards as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, as software eats the world, everyone's in cybersecurity, right? <laughs> we, we all have a duty, a duty of care, even down to your own personal responsibility to not fall for phishing scams or other things like that too, where people try and get your data from you. Uh, that's the most common way. They call it social engineering. It's not a, not a, not a fun term to think about, but uh, that's what they call it. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, it's been great I hope, to spend I hope time we with get you. To, yeah, I, I hope we can we can do this, you know, on a on a somewhat regular basis because I know you're always sure. working on new things, and I think that uh, the folks listening will be always interested to get the updates on on the uh, the, the cutting edge stuff that you're working on. So, um, yeah, best of luck with the opening of that space. It's Thank really you, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're happening. pretty pretty excited. I'm going to turn my camera for a second too. You see the start of our mayor and uh, you see someone else in the background you probably recognize uh, too <laughs> that's already here yeah. early. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a good event and, and a perfect example of that reskilling, uh, people being creative and growing into new things that we're all going to need to do uh, to kind of get past the current events. But uh, it's always great to spend time with you guys and uh, to hear how well you're doing and to uh, have a conversation with your audience too. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Metcalf, and enjoy the ceremony thank you. today. Yeah, thanks, everyone. This was Training the Modern Workforce Live presented by Ology. Uh, if you'd like to explore previous episodes, subscribe to our Ology YouTube channel or like us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you'd like to connect with one of our learning specialists to see how Ology can help improve your training, head to ology.com and schedule a demo or drop us a note. All right. See you all next time.